0: hello everyone and welcome back to the overtime heroics podcast the first podcast for the west division my name is alex clark joined by joe boric as we get ready to talk about the west division here joe how are you doing today
1: doing well doing well the weather's been nice been able to do some things that you can still do in today's world uh, so doing well
0: You know what? Very fair. It's a beautiful day. I'm over here in Seattle and it is a beautiful day. Not a cloud. Inside went out for a good bike ride earlier. It was a good time. But we're here to talk about not what we've been doing during COVID land. We're here to talk about baseball and the craziness that has been the West Division. So let's get started with the top news story of the day. The trade deadline is now come and gone. But it did not come and go without its fair share of fireworks, especially coming from centralized in the area of San Diego, California, where the San Diego Padres made a bunch of moves, and we're going to talk about those mostly, but the trade deadline itself usually kind of comes and goes with a good few moves. There were a ton, and almost all of them centralized with the Padres.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot. The Padres just decided they have to compete with the Dodgers if they want to get over the hump. So they figured we need to really nail down and solidify our team.
0: They did, and they definitely did solidify a lot of things. We were talking a little bit before the start of this about how normally a lot of times, if you're in a competing sense, you don't turn over 25% of your roster. But you did so, and they did so acquiring a lot of very interesting pieces again. So the main, the biggest one, in my opinion, is getting... Uh, Cleveland Indians pitcher Mike Clevenger uh, in a deal with the Indians in exchange for Austin Hedges, Cal Quantrill, Josh Naylor, Gabriel Arias, Joey Cantillo, and Owen Miller. They also acquired Greg Allen and a player to be named later. Would you say that is the biggest trade of the trade deadline?
1: Yeah, yeah, because they got Clevenger, who the Cleveland Indians are – I don't know how much you follow hockey, Alex, but the Boston Bruins of baseball. Um, if you're uh, not a good person in the locker room, it don't matter how good you are. You're not going to be in Cleveland anymore. So that's what happened with Clevenger. It's probably going to happen with Police Act. They just couldn't get it done before the deadline. But uh, Clevenger is gone and he's in San Diego. They're fig- I mean, it's, they don't care. San Diego has nuts on their team already. So... Uh, They just want guys that are good at the game. They don't care if you're a lunatic off the field in San Diego. They just want you to be good on the field. Whatever you do off the field, just don't get in trouble with the law. Uh, Like actual law, not rules and guidelines of this season. Um, So he's a good pitcher. He's going to continue to be a good pitcher. He just has to mature a little bit. Uh, Greg Allen is a very good fielder. That's a very fast player. So kind of. Fits in San Diego, they like having those guys that can run it down in their big outfield, which is smaller now since they moved the fences in, but still very large compared to some other stadiums when you get out into the alleys and center. So he's a good pickup for them. I really liked that trade um, for the uh, Padres. And then the Indians got some interesting people because Owen Miller's a pretty good prospect. Hedgy, we know what you get from him, but he's a yep. good catcher that can hit homers. Quantrill is a pitcher I really like, and then J- who can be a starter, too, and I think that's what their idea is there. And then Josh Nail. Naylor. Josh Nail is a guy that really should probably play first base, not right field. Uh, but we'll see what happens there because I like that trade for both teams because the Indians, again, got rid of an ace, but are probably still going to win their division or be very good because of the Indians. Definitely. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I still think that when you take a look at this trade, a lot of times when I see these kind of big trades, I look at two main players. There are usually two pieces that these trades are built around. And for the Indians, as the Indians and Padres, this trade, it's about Mike Clevenger and Austin Hedges. Hedges is a very good catching prospect, in my opinion. Like, He's a decent defender. He can hit very well. And he just needs a little more time to develop. And then you've got Mike Clevenger that has shown that he is a very good player. The problem with him, as we said, is the attitude. And the attitude is something that we've that we've seen in baseball and football and all these sports that can either make or break your career. And a lot of times it comes down to the coaches. So like for one example, if we're going to if I can bring a little football, you're bringing in some hockey, I'll bring in football with Pete Carroll in his Super Bowl years. Got a lot of guys that they said have character issues and yet helped them turn into a Super Bowl, perennial Super Bowl appearing team. So then. Now it's just more of like the Padres feel like the staff they've got going on right now can help these young guys mature, but they are very much in the win-now mode. That is why they've been making all these big trades. Again, we've talked about this one trade. There are still more to talk about, but we'll talk about them a little bit more on the show. But you see this thing, and I see this trade as Mike Clevenger... And Austin Hedges as the centerfolds with a couple other pieces thrown in that really help out. I agree fully on, on Cal and on Owen Miller. And those two really, I think those two are going to be the two other main pieces. I'm not going to say anything bad about Naylor. Naylor also a good player. I think personally, when you, all this is said and done, I think the Cleveland Indians won the straight. Mike Clevenger is a very good pitcher. I, but we also, like we just talked about, if his attitude gets in the way, he's not going to play, and he's going to play very poorly. If yeah. anybody from the Cleveland Indians, now San Diego Padres, Hedges, Quantrill, Naylor, et cetera, can play to what they are expected to do, to do just from the sheer amount of players they got back, then, then Cleveland, I think, wins the trade.
1: No, I would think so because Miller hit a, about 290 and had a 68 RBIs last year, and he's a good a good shortstop that really isn't ways not too far away at this point. So uh, he's not going to be too far from being called up. Uh, not this year, I don't think, because they're contending and they still have a uh, mcdur obviously, but. Uh, he's pretty close to the major, so they don't have to wait too long there. Um, also, the one guy they got, uh, Quintillo, is pretty good of a six-four lefty. I was a little surprised. Uh, he was picked in latter rounds, but everything I've read on him scouting-wise and listened to MLB's people, uh, he's a guy that they were a little surprised the Padres got rid of because they think his upside is kind of still hidden, where you're going to see that develop probably—well, not probably, definitely in Cleveland because we know how they can— do anything for a pitcher so yeah trading extra pitchers to cleveland is probably not the smartest idea but (laughs) probably
0: not but we've also seen where cleveland has done a lot with some pitchers and not with others again we'll see how it works with play as we think that he might get traded potentially next year in the offseason i would not be surprised at all to see that Um, especially we'll i think they're gonna definitely wait to see if he can do something this season, if he can try to clean anything up attitude-wise, if not, I don't see him being like you just said. They don't take that at lying down. He was gonna be gone.
1: Yeah, and he'll just dominate somewhere else because he has an attitude off the field. But he has a—he's just quirky, and yeah. like he's kind of like his uncle.
0: <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, my word. Anyway, okay. Other tr- other kind of trades within the. Within the West, the Dodgers made a few moves, but it almost didn't look like they were. There was they were the ones that kind of missed out. Uh, so like they were some of the uh, they were one of the teams involved with trying to get Mike Clevenger, and they just couldn't pull it off. So the Dodgers are one of the best teams in the West. So how do you kind of grade what the Dodgers did in the in the trade deadline? Should they have done more? Should they have done less? Did they do did they do what they needed to do to continue to win?
1: Yeah, I think they're fine. I think there's sometimes something to be said about being a good GM for just saying, I'm cool. I don't need anything. Our team's cool. Uh, whereas it takes a lot of strength to do that, because normally the media is going to come at you and say, how come you didn't make a move? It's like, well, did you see our team? Uh, <laughs> so um, like, I don't think they really needed to make a move other than Stripling, who I thought would be traded because he was supposed to be traded in the off season, And then. Artie Marino pulled the trade away for some dumbass reason. So, uh, that, that, was, I don't know why he did that. That messed up the Angels season too, but we don't have to get into that. Uh, so, now he's in Toronto, which is good for Stripling because he's going to have more of an opportunity over there. That's the only move they made for a player to be named later. And knowing the Dodgers scouting, most likely that player to be named later would be someone all right.
0: Yeah, exactly. So now we're going to see. Let's talk a little bit about the next news story. The players of the month were just recently announced. Do you have those on you, real quick? Um, or I, I'm getting them up also right now as well. But there were a few surprises, and there, especially at least in my mind, in the um in the rookies of the month. National League, I understand. It was the American League that had me a little bit questioning, where they went with Luis Robert instead of Kyle Lewis. And I understand some of the logic, but I still think that the decision may have been wrong. Uh, just from when you take a look at Kyle Lewis's stats on the season, he has performed exceptional. He is the seventh-highest player right now in batting average, batting 328. That's not in all rookies. That's in all players right now. The yeah. only ones above him are Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Paul Goldschmidt, Tim Anderson, Charlie Blackman, and Donovan Solano. It's kind of interesting to see how I don't know if he's being overlooked, but you brought up the idea when we were talking earlier that he had a stretch of a couple of games where he just did absolutely nothing. But even with that, he's still batting 328.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's probably what you said before the podcast. Sometimes the voters show an East Coast bias, uh, other than what Jake Cronenworth. But if you showed an East Coast bias, I mean, if they gave anyone else the NL Rookie of the Month, I don't know what they're looking at. So, um, that that we really couldn't have shown an East Coast bias because everyone would have called you an imbecile. So <laughs> uh, you had to vote for Cronenworth. And then, well, with the Sox, is more of a Central Coast bias, I should say. Because <laughs> uh, they're, yeah. they're um, but the, it's uh it's weird. I don't know. I, I agree with you. Uh, Lewis is a guy that just took the league by, so everybody always thought he was going to be a good player and a fast player, a dynamic player that can do pretty much a five-tool game. I don't think everybody expected him to come on like freaking Mike Trout in his first season and play like this. So I think where Luis Robert was, that was kind of expected of him. Like Luis Robert was the guy you're like, oh my God, this kid's amazing. This kid's going to be a phenom for the White Sox. He's a goat. Like that was the talk about Luis Robert. With Lewis, it was he's very good. So I feel like for the guy you talked about being very good now playing above the guy you thought was the phenom, which he's still a phenom, but that yes. should get Lewis the votes for the month. So I would agree with you on that because he's outperforming the guy that you think's the phenom.
0: So yeah, exactly, and that's kind of like you take a look at the stats directly for it again. Three twenty-eight batting average for Lewis. For uh, excuse me, for Luis Robert, nine home runs whereas Lewis so far in the season has eight. So, yes, you give that one to Robert. 20 RBIs, Kyle Lewis has that beat at 21. Right now, I'm seeing that with this, that there is a little bit of work. But let me ask you this question. And this is something that um, I'll, we may end up talking about this as well later on another show. I'm not going to go into too much in this show. Do you think that uh, Kyle Lewis in the west division is a front runner for the American League rookie of the year or at least for the rookie of the year vote, because there is no American League this year
1: um he's definitely up there uh I would put him up there for the rookie of the year vote there's a lot of guys that are performing well along with pitchers that came up so it's going to it's it, this is going to be a very tough uh rookie of the year vote at the end of the year in a 60-game sample size. Because you're going to have a lot of guys with above 300 batting average. You're going to have a lot of pitchers who are probably below two ERAs. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be like, okay, what the hell do I do here? Uh, So I I (laughs) think it's really going to be whatever the voters are feeling that day. So I would say he's going to be up there, but I wouldn't predict a winner at this point. It's way too early in this type of a season.
0: Agreed. All right, so let's move on to some of the other players of the month. The West Division dominated the relievers of the month, with the A's Liam Hendricks winning it on the American League side, getting nine saves, only giving up one run in 14 innings, and then Kenling Jansen winning it on the National League side. Here eight saves, two runs, in 11 and two-thirds. So the West relievers putting in some good work, and then you take a look at the players of the month overall. And the National League side winner was Fernando Tatis Jr., who has been making a lot of noise as of late for good reason, mind you, for good reason, where they get 11 home runs, 24 RBIs, and four of those coming off of something that the Rangers think is a bad move. We're not okay. gonna go too far into that, but <laughs> what we will talk about is like what we will talk about is unwritten rules. No, we're gonna talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. And he's starting to kind of emerge as one of the new phases of baseball. And I'm very happy to see that he's a guy that's put in his dues. He's a kid that is really working hard. I mean, he was put into a pretty interesting situation when he was starting to come up. That's when they what's when the Padres also got Manny Machado. And yeah. he had to kind of figure out, okay, where do I now fit in this infield? And now he is outperforming Machado.
1: No, that's true. And uh, now my one friend's a Rangers fan, so if you listen to this, he will probably text me, but he'll get over it. Uh, <laughs> if you're the Rangers, how about you don't suck at pitching? There's an idea. That's how you want to be in that situation if your pitching wasn't abysmal. So it's not, it's not like Fernando Tatis woke up in the morning and put a spell on your team to make <laughs> your pitching abysmal. Your pitching was just abysmal. So suck it up and deal with it.
0: I, I he had mean, a bad, pitching had a bad day that day. And on top of it, that Fernando Tatis, again, he's just playing the game. It, one thing that we have learned as baseball people is you can never have enough runs. You always are trying to play add-on because you never know what can happen. We never well, know you know what why I think they got mad because he hit it to opposite field. Like he
1: put a good, like that wasn't a 3-0 right down the middle. That was a three zero down the mid, middle outside where he actually put a good swing on it and went to the opposite. I think they were like, "Oh, he tried to show it." Where if it was right down the middle, I would be like, "Well, our pitcher just sucks." Uh, well, like, it might have been that. I honestly think that played into it. Which if that played into it for Chris Woodward, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, yeah, but I, I think that I think that did play into
0: it though. To be fair, I think a lot of this is already the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Just because I think there's, there are some unwritten rules in baseball that do deserve to be not, like, so much followed, but kind of, like, looked with at the very least. So that's a good way to pronounce it. Um, the one that I usually like to go with is the no bunting for a base hit after the sixth inning during a no-hitter or, perfect or perfecto opportunity. But that's just because you're looking at potential history happening. And that's why I'm okay with that one. I had actually never even heard of the unwritten rule of do not swing 3-0 if you have a big lead. Which your big lead with seven runs, I've seen enough games that have been these big leads that have then gone completely sideways after one inning. To yeah. me, that does not deserve to be an unwritten rule. And for Chris Woodward to still be kind of jeering at that, it kind of shows a lack of... And so it's kind of a lack of almost maturity, in a way.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also not good for, like, the whole MLB was thinking, oh, well, like, like some people I saw, like MLB people, tweet. well, that's not, good for the, that's not good for the game and everything. I'm like, well, here's the thing, baseball. I have a book about it. And mm-hmm. a lot of the old-school unwritten rules are violent. So if you want to all of a sudden start following the unwritten rules, then that means, well— Okay, you just hit my guy, eye for an eye. That's part of the old unwritten rules. Do you want everybody to start it during a pandemic going, whoop, whoop, you're hit, you're hit, you're hit, you're hit, you're hit, you're hit, you're hit and you're hit? <laughs> like, like, Because that's, exactly. part of the, that's part of the old unwritten rules. So if they want to start all of a sudden now following the unwritten rules again, they got to realize what they're opening Pandora's box to. Because if players... So- realizing some of the old school unwritten rules especially to the astros uh they're going to start implementing uh
0: i'm gonna kindly go off of that for a second just because that's another that's another pressure bomb but one thing i will say is that um for those of you that know me i've been an umpire i've I've done baseball umpire work for the last 13 years and one of the things that they teach you And that is because that rule that you just described, that unwritten rule, is very much still in effect to a lot of teams. There's a lot of teams that think that, okay, an eye for an eye. And umpires are trained to, if they see something like that coming, they are trained to try and deal with that. And usually if they think that something like that is possible, they issue a warning as soon as possible. So then they're like, okay, we know what you're on against. We're not going to let you do it. If you do do it, you will be suspended.
1: Well, unless if you're Angel Hernandez. Ah,
0: oh, fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yay. Anyway, back to the players of the month. Here. That that's all, then-
1: all his fault with the
0: freaking uh,
1: red. Like, that was. They didn't even fight each other. They were. They cleared the benches to yell at how bad the ump thing was. I, I don't think I've ever seen two teams <laughs> clear the benches to not even fight each other, but to literally just yell at the umpires. (laughs)
2: Like, like. Oh,
0: man. (laughs) Back to now the Players of the Month, AL and NL Pitchers of the Month, nobody from the East. It was Shane Bieber of the Indians and Hugh Darvish of the Cubs. But we take a look at this, and that was on the four main AL, uh, for the four main uh, categories for Players of the Month. There's a lot of West representation. And I think that kind of shows just how strong of a division the West really is. I mean, you take a look, they right now have the two best of the month, the two best relievers in Liam Hendricks and uh, Kenley Jansen. You've got one of the best overall players with the NL player being Fernando Tatis Jr. And you have one of the... Players of the month in Jay Cronenworth and what who could have been one in Kyle Lewis. The the West division, I think, gets a really bad rap for not being the East. But the West still has amazing ball players and a lot of really good ball players at that. And that is something I think is going to be really interesting to see come playoff time when you start to see the teams basically playing quote unquote inner league, where they're finally going to be breaking up just playing the West, like playing your own division.
1: Yeah, the reason they get a bad rep compared to these which just not really fair is because they have dominant teams in them, but they have the, the. I think for some reason people would rather watch closer divisions rather than teams that are just explosive and fun to watch. Because in the West, you of course have um, the uh, Oakland A's who are twenty-two and twelve now, and the Astros are kind of forgetting what they're doing in the last ten games. Uh, in, in five of those last ten games at least. Uh, so. The that factors in, and then the NL West is now um, mainly the San Diego Padres and Dodgers for the division. But the thing is, I don't understand why that plays in more this year, which is what confuses me the most, why people, why the bias is East as much, because there's an expanded playoffs. So a lot of these Western teams that keep competing stay above 500 or around 500, are probably going to be in the postseason. So if there's any year there shouldn't be as big of a bias, it would be this year. Yeah, <laughs> where it doesn't make a lot of sense that there is because, I mean, like what, what, like what if San Francisco and Colorado, like what if they both keep winning and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what, guys, oh, we're five games above five hundred at the end of the year. You're like, how the hell is San Francisco five games above five hundred uh, So we've we've got no idea. Again, baseball is weird. Yeah. So I mean, like. That's why, like, I mean, I thought this in general, but Cap went out West and he's slowly but surely started to figure it out. I thought that's what he had to do in the first place. I don't think coming East to manage was ever a good idea for him, but uh, he took the hits and pain from the media and learned from it. So I guess maybe it was a good learning experience.
0: <laughs> I completely agree with you. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk a little bit more about the trade deadline. We want to go into a little bit more where I think we could both agree that the team that made the most moves and the most memorable moves was the San Diego Padres. Would you agree? Of course, yeah. Yeah. So with this, now let's take a little bit more of a deeper dive because there's a very interesting question that gets thrown around on like the day after the trade deadline, which was, again, Tuesday or Monday at 1 o'clock shall we say, Um, and that is, did a team win or lose the trade deadline? And you would think by the sheer magnitude of the moves that the Padres won. And that's, I'm not 100% sure if that's exactly the case. Do they win this year? Probably. Because, yes, they got rid of a lot of talent in order to get a lot of, like, to get uh, players that can help them win right now. But they got rid of a lot of good talent, as we've already talked a little bit about, in the, in the biggest news section of the podcast. So I'm just going to ask, if, this is a yes or no from you on this one. Did the Padres overall win at the deadline?
1: Yeah, I would say yeah.
0: Okay. That's fair. I would say personally no. They did not. And there's a few reasons for that, in my opinion. The first off is that they got rid of a lot of prospects. They got rid of a lot of guys that can do a lot of good, including Andres Munoz and Taylor Trammell in the Seattle Mariner trade. They got rid of Austin Hedges, Cal Qu- uh, Quantrill, Josh Naylor, Gabriel Arias, Owen Miller, and Jose Cadillo in the Mike Clevenger trade. They got rid of a lot of guys, and they're banking a lot of the a, a lot of that on the guys that they got producing well this one year,
1: and well, I'm going to Clevenger oh, go for though. It. He has a lot of control though. That's the other. That's why they had to give up all that extra crap because of the arbitration uh, control Mike Clevenger had. So, so that otherwise the Indians would have looked at you like you had seven heads,
0: and they're like, "That's not that
1: uh, so." <laughs> sure that you would have yeah. on,
0: day, on, on <laughs> second one. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, because of that, um, that contingency with the arbitration, they had to give extra there. He has control until the end of 2022, which will be 31 at that point. So, uh, that's pretty good for them. And another guy that has control is Nola because he's a late bloomer, uh, I don't know about. Oh,
0: oh, trust me, we're gonna go into. I'm gonna go into detail about that trade. I'm excited to go into detail on that one, but I want to keep talking about this as well, especially the Clevenger trade, because that was the big, that was the blockbuster of the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, and also they have control, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with uh, the outfielder they got to uh, Jake, not Jake Allen, uh, Craig Craig Allen, Allen. Jake Jake Allen's a goaltender in hockey. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're talking about
0: Greg Olson, the, tie, the former tight end for the Seahawks? No, anyway. Yeah, so they're. They, yes, they got control, and that's really good to see. But we are talking about that Clevenger has that attitude problem. And if he isn't going to be able to work with the team, then that's going to be a problem. That's yeah. going to be a thing that makes him not as valuable as what you gave away.
1: Now, it's a little bit easier not to have attitude problems in San Diego than it is in
0: Cleveland. Uh, You know, there's a lot of fairness to what you say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Like like
1: nice beaches, uh, the nice uh, sun, you know. Some of the nicest landscape in California. There's a a little bit less reasons to be stressed out and annoyed. and I
0: mean, that's (laughs) fair. If you feel stressed, you can walk to a beach from the stadium. Yeah, exactly. That's how (laughs) That's how close it is to where Petco Park is. And I've been to the stadium a couple times. It's beautiful. Like, that whole area, even around it, is amazing. Um, Okay, so now let's move on to some of the other trades. Let's go to some of the smaller ones first. One was that the uh, Padres acquired the services of catcher Jason Castro for Gerardo Reyes. And another one that I want to talk about, kind of on the same kind of note, but definitely worth mentioning on that is um, acquiring Mitch Moreland from the Bo- from the Bosox in exchange for Jason Rosario and Hudson Potts. Mitch Moreland and excuse me, Mitch Moreland and Jason Castro are together. Interesting pairing on that again, catcher first baseman, very low risk moves as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the only thing you have to worry about there is of course you're trading for two catchers. Um <laughs> When they have, we'll get to, now we'll get to the second
0: catcher in a little bit. Yes. Yeah,
1: but that's that's the um when you trade for two catchers and you switch out all your catchers, well, obviously your pitching staff doesn't know how those catchers work, so they they that's need fair. to learn that uh, very quickly. But it seems to be working out okay, so I think they'll be fine. I do like for Boston the small like they took guys that basically are meh, but like guys that have a chance to be something from that where it's like okay you have okay stats some of these years in hudson potts who plays third or second or whatever but you kind of need to put it more together and all that good stuff uh and the same goes for um for um what's his name uh rosario um the guy they got uh yeah rosario jason rosario who's another guy he's only 20 though so he has a couple of years to go but uh, he's fast. He steals bases. Like it seems like they went. We got We want to get rid of Mitch, but let's try to get one of these two might be able to pan out in some capacity for us in the future. So I, I think for them that worked out okay as well.
0: So then one more trade before we get to the trade that I think the Padres ultimately lost is the trade with the Kansas City Royals, uh, trying to getting Trevor Rosenthal for the center fielder, Edward Oliveras, and a player to be named later. This is another good move, in my opinion, for, for the Padres. This is one where they got a good reliever who right now is already showing good PR moves. Yeah. <laughs> as we were talking just a little bit ago, and you can bring up that tweet again if you'd like. Um, but a good reliever, because, again, in baseball, I don't think you can ever have enough relievers. If
2: no. you have,
0: If you have a solid bullpen, it doesn't matter if your starters can't go, four, can't go five innings. Because your relievers are going to bail you out after that. As a Mariner fan, I can definitely attest to this.
1: Well, first um, of all, Trevor Rosenthal, no matter where you have him, is going to be the best PR guy. Because when you have a bio, let's change the world for the better,
2: mm -hmm.
1: you're probably one of the nicest guys on the planet.
0: Probably one of the nicest guys, or he's going to be a faker, which we've already seen he's not the
2: faker.
1: Yeah. So we already seen that because he tweeted out, my new teammates are amazing and have made the last couple of days super easy. Looking forward to the fun ahead with these guys. Padres staff and the support team made the transition seamless. Anaheim is beautiful today. West Coast never lets me down. And then he said that yesterday with the sun emoji at the end of it. Uh, So he's been very, very, very good for the team immediately. So that – as well as he came in and pitched already and pitched well. So – and both sides, he's been good for the team.
0: He's been absolutely fantastic. And he, this is probably one of the best moves, in my opinion, that they made, along with the Clemen deal. deal. Um, one of the best moves that they made because, again, the fact that it's always good, in my opinion, to try and acquire guys that not only can play ball, but are going to be good in the clubhouse. Because clubhouse morale at times can get bad. When you're losing games, you need those guys that can help turn everything positive. They can keep the guy's morale from getting too low. And that's a guy that Rosenthal, that Rosenthal is. He's yeah. able to make that clubhouse better.
1: Especially because he's been through stuff himself. He had uh, the yips. He had stuff. So if anybody's going through anything, he'll be the first one that's there to say, hey, come talk to me. So that's, the, uh, that's, that's great
0: to have in your clubhouse. That's, te- that's a teammate right there. That will help you. That immediately hears a problem and then will help you with that problem. Or if you even just need someone to talk to, that is another thing to have too. Where you maybe don't want the answer, maybe you just want to vent. That's another thing that he can do, and that's what he's already proven to do, with other ball clubs.
1: Yeah, and he can close. So like you have a great closer out there, but if you have a matchup time where it's all righties and they all rock Brad Hand, and you look at the numbers, and it's like, well, this thing great uh then you would be like okay cool we have trevor rosenthal He'll just dominate these three righties uh so that works out swimmingly for them as well because now they have two closures that they can match up no matter what so
0: which in a shortened season as well means an absolute lot that you can pick and choose whoever you want in any situation it makes everything a lot easier to work with
1: especially with the three batter batters
0: mm-hmm. especially with the three batter thing all right um, I, I would like to move on to the trade that I think the Padres lost. And I will definitely feel, I, I'm definitely okay to answer whatever questions on this, on this. The trade with the Mariners where they acquired the services of Austin Adams, Austin Nola, and Dan Altavilla, or as I call it, AAA, in order to, it's like, uh, it's like, mostly to acquire Austin Nola. They gave up Andres Munoz, Luis Torrance, Taylor Trammell, and Ty France. This yeah. is a trade that I... When I saw this happen, I could not stop shaking. As a Mariner fan, I could not stop shaking. Because this was one where, again, you've got the late bloomer and Austin Null who who is having his first big year. You trade him, Alton Villa, who is a very good arm. He's got a very lively fastball, but has injury problems. And then Austin Adams... Who again has not really impressed in my eyes? He's done a few good things, don't get me wrong, but
1: he's like that.
0: Yeah, when you get the return of Andres Munoz, who's a guy that can throw a 102 mile per hour fastball, Luis Torrens, a guy that can step in and catch on day one, Ty France, who is another infielder that they're going to try him out at second base for a little bit. So he's mostly a third base and so they're going to try him out at second, who's again another good, solid young guy. And then he can Taylor- Exactly. And then Taylor Trammell, who is the number five prospect in the organization and one of the best outfield prospects in all of baseball. I feel like Seattle won this trade by a landslide because of a couple of reasons. Austin Nola is a good ball player, he's got good versatility at being a catcher and first baseman. However, this is a one year sample size we're looking at here. He is 30 years old. He's a late bloomer, like we've talked about. But we haven't seen him put this kind of level of production before in his career. This is a first time for him. And is he going to be able to seamlessly transition to as I, to the Padres? And I don't know as well, because he's also going to be, from what I know, platooning with Jason Castro, who Castro is the better defender of the two. And then Nola is going to be the main hitter. Do you put Nola... At DH, it feels like that is an egregious misuse of his abilities. No, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I don't think exactly. that's a good idea Yeah, Exactly. And, again, you gave away Luis Torrens already, so you already are a little bit down on catchers. You have Castro and Nolan, not a worker. Then, yes, I like I said, Nolan's a good player, but the sample size is just too small. And you saw from him 30 games. You saw 30 games of Austin Nola in Seattle this year, and he did good. He's not –
1: yeah, he's not the best fielder, Austin. I think they they talked about this on MLB Network, though. He has really got better at calling the game. So even if you're not the best, like, throw you out at second base, I don't have the best arm. If you're good at – better, keep getting better at framing and calling the game, plus also bringing in Jason Castro is going to make you a genius at framing because the one thing Jason Castro is a mastermind at doing – is framing pitches.
0: Framing pitches. Yeah. Exactly. So,
1: um, the, so I think that's why they got Nola. They see his catching arm strength. You can't really make your arm that much stronger. You make it a little bit stronger. But otherwise, he calls a good game. He's good with the pitchers. Same with Castro. And he's getting better at framing. And you have in Jason Castro who can help him more with framing because that's his best asset. So that's, um, that's why I think they probably did those two. And I i believe, I could be wrong on this, but I believe Austin Nola has arbitration. Oh, Say that again?
0: Sorry. I think you cut the, out there, though.
1: I believe Austin Nola also has arbitration.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. I think you're right on that. One thing that I, I just can't get over with this trade, and again, I know I'm probably sounded like a homer for this sounded for all everything I'm saying on this but with Nola you take a look at his 2019 stats and they're not bad 79 games for him 64 hits had batting average of 269 with an OPS of just under 800 not bad for a guy that was a backup catcher and then this year played well but you also take a look that's why was he if he is playing this well why was he a guy in the minor leagues for so long why is did his career start in 2019
1: yeah i think some guys just bloom late like ty france bloomed late he was a Mm -hmm. 34th round pick that now is well not playing like a 34th round pick that's for sure so uh I think some guys just kind of find their way at a later age. And also when you have a family name, that'll help you out a little bit when your brother's one of the better pitchers. Um I agree. So I think uh, he's just one of those guys that's going to be a late bloomer. I mean, baseball is a funny sport. You see janitors come back and start mashing balls out of the ballpark, Evan uh, so I, one of like,
0: my One of my favorites is uh, Steve uh, with Steve Delabar, who was a substitute elementary school teacher. And then just said, hey, you know, I'm going to go back to relieving. And then was an all-star two years later.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be like if Luke Hoschever is in a class right now and he's like, I don't like this. I'm going to go back to pitching in the major league. <laughs> I and mean, that's it,
0: basically for- what Tom Will Holmes did yeah. as well. Yeah. He became a bartender. And, and then he became an all-star. Luke
1: Hoschever like the best closer in baseball. And you're just like, where the hell did this come
0: from? What? Uh, like, what happened here? Anyway, back with Nola just for a second. On this, he is a good player, but the thing is, right now in his career, he has 339 total at bats at 30 years old, and a career batting average at the of 280 which is very good. The problem is, and I will say this to the day I die, the sample size is really small for what you gave up, for what the Padres gave up for Nola. It seemed like you're banking. You are really. It seemed like you're putting in the ATM card. And hoping that there's a lot of money in there. Yeah. I'm not I quite sure if there is.
1: Yeah. I think they also did it because their catchers. Hedges is a guy that could still develop, but he wasn't working there. And it was kind of change of scenery. He's probably going to be what's best. And then Mahia is not developing at the rate they hope. And he, got, and he keeps getting banged up a little bit. So that factors in. Where... I think they just went, we need a catcher so bad. We just need to get two catchers. This is if We're going to compete with the Dodgers. We need guys that can also call the game so our pitchers don't just start pitching willy-nilly out there. So I think they kind of just went with that. And also, as a funny joke, if you ever need an extra pitcher, Ty France is a career 450, ERA. Right.
2: <laughs> so. I will
0: admit, one of my favorite things in all of baseball is watching position players pitch. Uh, well, to be fair as well, the, uh, the Padres also had Mitch Moreland who also oh, is a decent pitcher. He uh, was a closer back in high school. Yeah. And then on top of it, pitched a little bit in the minor leagues. And for the, I believe it was either the Red Sox or with the Rangers. He also pitched, uh, I believe it was one inning and he topped out at like 95.
1: Yeah. He's pitched two games in his career for two innings and has given up nothing. <laughs> That's what Moreland.
0: Sign done. him up. be The <laughs> new close. Um But no, yeah, like, here's the thing, I wish Nola the best. I want Nola to go and be an all-star. I would love to see him as a catcher be a, like, over 300 hitter. That would be fantastic. I would love to see it. Do I think it's going to happen, though? No. Do I think that he may have a good this season and that will fall off? I sadly do. I the think thing that is, though, I don't this, think he's
1: above a 300 hitter. I think he's above a 260 hitter. That's why, like, I feel like if, they're, then, if, yeah, if they're hoping he's above a 300 hitter, they're not looking at his, <laughs> his Here's projection. The thing, if,
0: right. he, if he bats a career above 250, then yes. he is an absolute win at that. But I'll tell you, you then take a look at the future that you gave up. We've talked about these players already a lot, but you take a look at the players like Taylor Trammell. That you gave up. You gave up Luis Torrens, Ty France, Andres Munoz. Three of those guys, at the all, actually, sorry, all four of those guys, can play good ball. We're about to see Torrens is a good replacement catcher, and he's going to work well with um, who we've got currently going. So who the Mares currently have going on, and then you have Trammel, who is about to make the Mares have one of the best problems in baseball of an overcrowded outfield ty france if he can move a successful conversion to second base him and shed long working together could make an amazing duo and then andres muñoz if you play him right with that fastball he could become a dominant closer
1: yeah yeah you just have to have uh the pitching work with his control as we said before the podcast that's the only question mark with Munoz uh, stuff is zero question mark. No, his control is the only question mark. And you're right about Turins is a very solid uh, catcher. So you guys got back um, a pretty good catcher there to be able to develop, and he started off his career very solid so far. So uh, I think who continued to improve. France though is a guy. That I've loved watching since you came in the league. Is anybody that's a mid 30 something round pick that then all of a sudden starts tearing the cover off the baseball? You love to see those underdog guys come up and say, Oh, no, I'm about, I'm pretty much as good as other people in this league. And it's like, Oh, cool! Perfect. Let's uh, trade for this guy because everyone thinks he probably has no value, even though he's great. Uh, because whenever like that, like that's how you fleece teams. Whenever there's exactly. a late round pick that starts doing well, that's how you fleece teams because you get them for where they're at now, and the team that has them goes, "Well, we drafted them in the thirty fourth round, so we shouldn't mm-hmm. ask for much." And it's like, "Well, no, you probably should actually." But yeah, you should. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Austin Null, no, I I didn't even realize this. he was a fifth round draft pick back in twenty twelve. He was a fifth rounder, all like for by the Miami Marlins. He was like a 137th overall pick in that year. And the fact he's just he only made his debut in 2019, and now he's playing well. I, I I'm not gonna say he's a bad player. Do I think that the sample size is too small to say it accurate of how much he is? Yeah. Yes. But it's do funny I
1: think, you go know at MLB.com. It says he's the brother of Aaron Nola. So oh people, yeah, he is.
0: Yeah, gosh, it's like he'll be forever compared to that. And we're we're talking about before the podcast that we don't think, unless he does really well, that the Padres will continue with Nola. Which at that point, then Nola goes over to Philadelphia and teams up with his brother just for the marketing, if anything.
1: Yeah, that would be very cool. Uh, Obviously, I if Matt Glentag for some stupid reason thinks that he doesn't want to sign JT Romuto for that reason, that wouldn't be very cool uh but
0: if they, I mean, if, if, he, if, it's, if they, it's falling apart then yeah it might if be it, worth it it's try to get some trade value out of it before he goes all the way down
1: yeah well he also has to re-sign jt in order to trade him since he didn't mm-hmm. that yet uh but um i think noel is a good catcher i think i don't know if he's a starter full-time i think he might be more of a puts you in a good amount of games in platoon with another guy or type guy. And uh, also platoon with another guy is going to mean, oh, well, you're resting your second baseman. You're resting your – he's a catcher. He probably could play third base if you, if you give him enough uh, ground balls. and.
0: Yeah, spread. you got to give him a lot of yeah. time at third base before you but, put him over there. I mean, I, because right now they still have Eric Hosmer over at first, right?
1: Um. Yes. Yeah, yeah so what, putting Nola, him over
0: at first right. is not always going to be the best idea. I would think at that point that you go with Nola as your main guy at the catcher position, work him along with Castro. And then if you re- if Nola is really tearing the cover off the ball, then when Hosmer needs the day off, that's when you put Nola over at first for his quote-unquote day off and then let uh, Castro go do the work behind the plates.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, if they started overly resting Eric Hosmer this year, you would have riots outside of the Padres Stadium. Oh, no, I'm dude? not talking about
0: over- yeah. overly yeah. resting. I'm talking about no. whenever Hosmer does need a rest.
1: No, no, no. I'm just saying in general, because the way that that dude's tearing, like he's, he got going again last year, which most people don't realize due to 99 RBIs last year, and everyone thinks he sucked. And I'm
0: like, uh eh, no, 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 no. No, um, no, Hosmer's still good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we're,
1: uh. Where um he also had one of the best fielding percentage so I'm like if you have 99 RBIs and are one of the best fielders in baseball what more do I want to ask for my first baseman no exactly. except for fact except for the fact that it- now he's hitting 306 uh so if that could happen <laughs> that would be great uh boy I don't see that continuing to happen for the foreseeable I see him more as a as a like 270 and up guy usually uh but he's a great guy to watch he's always been fun to watch too uh since his Kansas City days. And now through his San Diego days. And he has a good contract, too, because his contract's the opposite of how most contracts work. His depreciates. So yeah. his started really high and then keeps getting lower. So he actually allows the Padres to spend more money over time while keeping his services, which is very unheard of for yeah, was, baseball you, players. to take tell I didn't know
0: that. I didn't know that until you just told me that, and that is a very interesting. That's a very interesting idea of doing a team first move. I would say, but you're still making a metric poop ton of money. (laughs) I mean, you're not. It's not like you're still not making any money. You're still making a lot. It's just now that you're doing it later on, and I find it funny that the first because it was from what I saw the first couple years of Hosmer in. The first like year or so with Osmer in San Diego was not the prettiest. So it's funny that his play has gotten better as his contract has gone down.
1: Yeah. Well, how it works is his becomes like it stays for a couple years, but he's also locked with a uh, no trade. And then after this year, they couldn't move him with the final $20 million on his tag, but then he has 13, 13, and 13 as long as he uh, doesn't opt out. And obviously, if the Padres are playing amazing, he's not going to opt out at 2023. 20, no. so, especially
0: uh, if he keeps playing this well.
1: Yeah, especially if he keeps playing really well as a young 30-year-old. So that's that's when it all the ops that they put in, the Padres did a really smart contract there, are all only at 13 instead of 20. And that's a good age for him to drop about $6 because it would be 33, 34, and 35. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So then we take a look, and that really kind of uh, helps talk about the infield for the Padres, where right now that infield is looking scary, especially if Hosmer is playing this well. Then, just, again, you've got Machado, you've got Fernando Tatis, you've got Hosmer. Ronenworth. I mean, this team. Oh, sorry, excuse me?
1: Jake, uh, Jake is also an infielder.
0: Yeah, in. exactly. yeah, so right now you look at this team, and the moves that they have made have definitely helped them. Get better, but again it comes back to the question of did what they gave up equal to what they got? I and don't think it
1: it's full, one. but I think it's they're trying to win a damn world series, so they don't care. That's <laughs> what that's what I think. I think that's their mindset. Their mindset is this team has never won. Uh we barely I don't know if
0: they've been to a World Series. Uh I think they might have been to a World Series, but they never won. Um Yeah. Where- they- there's Only one they have been to a world series, and I know that for a fact. Um, the only there's only one team in professional baseball that has not made a world series. Um, so right now, for the Padres, Who is that the Rockies? No, know? it's the Mariners. Mariners, oh, the Mariners, oh, okay. Mariners have never made it past the ALCS
1: gotcha.
0: 2001. Anyway, regardless, going back to not complete depression, we take a look at this for the Padres and they did get a lot worth it and they are trying to win right now. But the other question here is that, yes, it's going to still count as a world series. How much does that value go down when it's titled with the 2020 season? Because as much as we talk about that, this season is always going to go down in history. It's going to go down in history for a lot of the wrong reasons. It's going to go down in history because of the pandemic that we're in. It's going to go down in history because of the first year where it's a 60-game season. It's going to go down in history because there was no All-Star game. The playoffs are now, what, how many teams? Isn't it like 16 teams? Yeah. Yeah, 16-team playoff contention to where at the deadline, because only 30 games had been played, almost everyone is still in real contention except for a few teams. And pl- teams had to make the quick on the spot decision about whether or not this is the year that they're going to go for it, or if this is the year they're just going to say, all right, no, we're just going to let it be. And so this is kind of a weird question, and I'll let this be kind of the final talking point for this. And we could talk about this more. This, we could revisit this question later. But for the 2020 season, is there going to be an asterisk? Next to this season, because of all of the stipulations that had to happen in order to make this year work?
1: There most likely will be, it, but I think for teams that never won, it's not going to make much of a difference. So if you're going for it, like Slam Diego's still going to celebrate, no matter, like they won their first World Series, if they win in a 60 game season or win in a 162 game season, you never won. So, uh, if you're somebody that's used to winning, then, like, like, for example, if Boston won again and was actually good this year, then the, the reaction might just be like,
0: yay!
1: <laughs> and you're going to do a golf
2: clap. You're like, golf
1: yeah, clap that one. where um, where with the Padres and, like, if the Rockies come back and somehow make a like, if teams that never won win, then you're going to be like, okay, well. Or Tampa, because Tampa's really good. Uh, So... <laughs> if t- If teams of that nature win, it will still have an asterisk, but their fans not the fans are not going to care um yeah, where right, if other teams win that are used to winning, like if the Yankees come back and get healthy and don't get injured every five seconds um then that would be one thing they might not celebrate too much because they're used to winning but the the other teams I think there will be an asterisk, but I think like they said it on a lot of the podcasts and telecasts i listen to you still have to remember it could have been argued that it was actually harder for these guys to play in this type of format and season because they were worried about a bunch of outside nonsense while playing baseball than it would be in most other seasons
0: so yeah was- and that's that's kind of what i'm getting with all of this um is that for this, there is a lot of weird things that are going to be going with it. I agree with you that if a lower team like, say, the Padres does win it all where they haven't won it all before, they're still going to celebrate it like it's the 4th of July. They're going to celebrate it like it's the very first time. But if any other of these bigger teams win, it's almost just going to feel like a joke. And that's kind of the thing is, are other teams going to look down on the Padres Or whatever team wins this 2020 season and basically just say, you know it doesn't count. You know why it doesn't count.
1: Yeah, I don't think they'll do that because everybody's competing at a high level still. Everybody wants to still win, um, even in a 60 games. I don't think teams would look at that because then that would kind of be a hypocritical approach from them. Because then I'll be like, oh, I'm sure you wouldn't be celebrating if you won. Uh, So... I, I think uh, that becomes a slippery slope and uh, somebody can really down that right away for the other player. If they're bickering at them, like, Oh, well, you guys didn't really win. It's like, well, what did you do last year? <laughs> so
0: like, I, what, that's a uh, pretty- I like, where did it say, okay. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter that. Why were you buying at the deadline? Why were you yeah. buying? Oh, yeah, right that, why yeah. did you get rid of a, why did you get rid of pieces of your future in order to try to win this joke of a season? Yeah, so it's, I agree with you that it's going to matter. I also think there will always be an asterisk next to it. But will that asterisk matter? I don't know. And I think it will. But if, you're win the se- if you win the series in the si- short-in-60-game season, you win the series in the short and 60 game season. There's not going to be anything to, to refute that. You still won, and that's still something that you're going to be able to hang your hat on. Yeah, for sure. So right now we talk, we've talked about this and I'm very glad to see that with this I like to see what the Padres have done because I always love watching the trade deadline. It is exciting seeing all the different moves. It's one of the few sports with a trade deadline. It's like an actual event, whereas like in football it just kind of goes off to the side. But every now and then a deal like a kind of cool deal will happen, but most of the time not really. Baseball is one of the main sports that, if you have a trade, that, that the trade deadline itself is it almost watch must see TV because you need to see how many moves are going to be made.
1: That's true. Yeah. And this year, people were concerned um, that it wouldn't be as active because of the short. And then, well, that didn't happen. Obviously, it was more active than some other deadline. So, I mean, 2020. <laughs>
0: 2020. Yeah. All right, I think that's going to do it for us for the overtime heroics West Division podcast. You can follow us both on Twitter. You can follow Joe at jj4 JJBorek26. You can follow me at the Sports Guy242. We both will be posting our articles that we write and the podcast on there. Make sure you also go follow the Overtime Heroics Twitter page and everything else associated with us. For Joe, I'm Alex Clark. Thank you so much for paying attention and for tuning into the podcast. We hope to see you all real soon.
1: Once again, that was Ken, Ryan, Joe, and Anthony on the Central Division podcast of today's episode of Cheap Seats Chatter. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors at dugoutmugs.com. That is D U G O U T M U G S.com. Go check them out. They use barrels of Old and used bats and make them into mugs with MLB team logos on them. So if you're a baseball fan or no a baseball fan, go check out
2: dugoutmugs.com. <laughs>